Do the best leaders come from the hospitality industry? We will answer that question and so much more on this edition of The Inside BS Show. Hey now, I'm Nikki G. This is The Inside BS Show. I'm here this morning with my partner, the godfather of growth, Dave Lorenzo. Dave, how are you? Hey now, Nikki G. I'm doing great. How are you? I mean, I feel like it's been a minute since I've seen you. It's been a whole week since we've been together. I can't I can't stand it. I need me some Nikki G. What's going on? It's starting to feel like a long period of time when it's just a few days. So we've really got to dig in today. I want to talk about leadership. You know how much we enjoy that subject. And there's something that's on my mind this morning, in particular about leaders. A good amount of leaders that I've met happen to have a background in the hospitality industry. So I'd really like to explore if there's something about that industry that is lending itself toward making excellent leaders. Now, Dave, you have a background that is in the hospitality industry. Isn't that right? I 100% have a background that is in the hospitality industry. You're right. So what do you think it is about me having had that experience? You're an excellent leader, Dave. I've seen you in action. That's why I partnered with you. What do you think it is from that experience you had working in that industry that has led you to become the leader that you are today? The, the, that industry itself is a microcosm of what great leadership looks like in life. One minute you're rolling up your sleeves, you know, helping out in the dish room, and the next minute you're brushing all that garbage off of you and you're putting on your jacket to go out in, front of the, in the front of the house to greet a VIP guest. So it's phenomenal. And I wanna tell the folks who are listening and the folks who are watching, that today we have somebody who is going to share with us her experience, not only in the hospitality industry, but in taking on a leadership role in front of over 8,500 professionals where she now connects with, trains, and helps develop people who are lawyers, people who are CPAs, bankers, people who are the masters of the universe in the finance industry, and I, could not think of a better representative of uh, hospitality and leadership and someone who's had the, uh, the experience of dealing with all the things that we just talked about. Um, my friend Lisa Meredith is with us today. And Lisa is the Vice President of Leadership and Development for Provisors. You who are listening, who are watching, you've heard Nicola and I talk about Provisors over and over again. It's a fantastic community of professionals. And Lisa teaches all of us how we can be better networkers, how we can be better leaders. She teaches the folks who lead teams of 35, 40 professionals in a community. She teaches them how to be better in front of their groups. She teaches them how to be uh, more engaging and develop communities. And if there ever was a job that was most like herding cats, it is the role of a group leader in Provisors. And Lisa prepares all of us, both Nicola and myself, to do that. Her background is that she came up through the ranks, just like me, in the hospitality industry. She, uh, she was in operations. She was in sales. She's a certified meeting professional. And she teaches at a university in Illinois. So she has the skills necessary to, uh, to connect with people and help them learn and grow. So it's my distinct pleasure to welcome my friend, my dear friend, Lisa Meredith, to the Inside BS Show today. Lisa, thank you for joining us and welcome. Oh my gosh, thank you. 
Uh, it's been a pleasure knowing you in this brief tenure, Dave. And Nikki, I look forward to us working together more closely in the future. What an introduction. I hope that I live up to it. Oh, I know. I know that you're going to. So Lisa, take us through um, real quick. Give us give us an overview of your background in the hospitality industry first. And then as a segue, tell us how you think, you know, based on like what I said, how you think that background prepares you for, you know, teaching really sophisticated people how to build communities. Well, you didn't leave much that is uh, uh, that hasn't been communicated. My background, I, I'm not going to go all the way to the beginning, but I have had almost 40 years of experience in sales, of which 33, 34 of it, it's been in the hospitality industry, starting as an intern. Um, I was blessed with uh, someone who saw something in me, and I had no idea what the hospitality industry really was all about, uh, especially in the hotel community. I thought you just either cleaned rooms or checked them in. Had no idea about the sales component. So that opened my eyes to a whole new world. Um, I've gone from being an intern to a sales manager to director over one of the my most favorite cities in the country to Chicago. I represented um, our city here for over uh, eight years. Then I was I had the pleasure of representing the San Diego um, uh, in um, 2010, uh, and also one of the largest Midwest uh, private clubs in the nation, uh, the Union League Club of Chicago, where I led their sales and catering team. So I've had both behind the scenes starting, as you mentioned, Dave, being a grunt doing all of the work. I, I laughed when you were describing, you know, pulling that knife out of that washer because, you know, you've got dishes piling up and you've got two or three large conventions that are taking place and you got to get that stuff done uh, to shaking it all off, putting on your jacket, getting that smile on your face because you cannot have a bad day when your VIPs are arriving. So, it is wonderful. One of the things that you mentioned that really resonated the most you do have to be a servant leader in this industry. And I am as surprised as you are that more uh, people who are in politics don't have a background. And I probably would say that if we peel back the layers going farther back in their career, they probably in some way, shape or form have been in a service capacity. There is something about customer service and not just handing someone uh, an item or providing a service that they paid for. It truly is about getting to know your clients enough to know how they are operate and how are you going to accentuate that experience to make them look like a rock star? Because at the end of the day, it's not about you. It's about making that other person envisioning what their dream is and making it come to reality. And that's a lot. And it takes you to be humble, uh, there is no pride in our uh, in, in our community. You are going to do the work that nobody else wants to do. But at the end of the day, when you see the results and the smile on the face of your meeting planner or that bride, it really makes it all worthwhile. I love it. I think, you know, maybe people in the hospitality industry are too smart to get into politics, Lisa. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what it is. So let me ask you, as a, as the uh, the VP of leadership and development now at Provisors, how do you how do you find um, how do you find working with 
I'm going to say it. I'm just going to say it with straight talk, like big ego folks. Like you're, you're teaching people who are not used to being taught stuff, right? So how do you find working with uh, lawyers and, you know, accountants and uh, the finance people who are masters of the universe, right? Teaching them how to build community because it's, it comes natural to you because of your background, right? How do you, how do you, how do you like that? And how, and what was the, what was the transition like? Cause you were, you were in a role where you had to build a community yourself in Chicago first. What was the transition like from, you know, working with folks who are, I, I find that the folks in the hospitality industry are the most down to earth people and they're, they're, they, they have the attitude, what, like they're there to serve. So when you're coaching them up, they want the feedback, right? How do you find working with um, attorneys, CPAs, financial folks? How do you find that in the transition to teaching them? Um, is it is it difficult, or you know how how has that been for you? Well, to start the first part of your question, um, the things that you learn in hospitality that I have been able to pull out of my tool belt to make me efficient in working in provisors is that yes, you are dealing with um, senior professionals, uh, high caliber people who are at the top of their game, which is why uh, provisors has such a uh, robust vetting process. Um, so we're used to working with those type of individuals in the hospitality industry because I'm used to working with CEOs, I'm used to working with executives, those that you know, are putting on large events, uh, whether it's national sales meetings or executive committee meetings, where they are really doing a lot of heavy lifting within their industry. So I took that skill set and applied it in provisors. So I meet our members where they are. And you will have those because this is a, um, a business networking community. A lot of people don't know the real art of networking, which, you know, we can talk about later. But it really is a skill set that requires you to kind of train people on how to engage with one another and not suck all the air out of the room, how to make sure you're going into a room with the idea of how can you contribute to the dialogue, to the discussion, to the experience, as opposed to walking in, expecting people to hand you whatever it is that you're, you're used to having people serve you. So that is a dynamic that um, requires, again, patience, uh, humility. And one thing that you mentioned very early on in this segment is the fact that if you are actually doing it, if you're leading by example and showing them the art of diplomacy, the art of community, uh, uh, the art of servant leadership, people have a tendency, those that truly want to be engaged in this community, they're going to start adapting to some of the nuances that you bring naturally to the room or to the discussion. So that's been what's helped me quite a bit. Um, when I was hired, uh, provisors, I was hired as a regional director for Chicago. And at that time, they really needed someone to come in and just kind of rebuild the foundation that had already been set before I came on board. So it took a lot of building that trust. I mean, our our core values stem around the acronym KLTR, which is getting to know like and trust your fellow member out of which referrals come uh, doing business with one another so i had to come in with that same mindset of getting to know my members really getting to know them so getting to know your members is where that um, that development of trust comes in 
So you're able to better, you're able to be more efficient in serving your members if they know that you have their best interest at heart. And that's where it began. So I met you when you were a regional director. And one of the things that really stood out for me and I think made me like instantly like you was your uh, the, your your polish and the way that you approached a relationship with me and that you started asking a lot of questions about me. You wanted to make sure that you understood me and my business before we determined if Provisors was going to be a good fit for me. And that stood out to me because that's the way I think good business leaders approach sales. It's a win-win, right? And you've, you've always had that attitude. You've always had that mentality. How have you taken that from you know, your, the, the recesses of your career? Used, I could see clearly how you used it as a regional director. How have you taken that and how have you used that in the role of uh, you know, vice president of leadership and development? Well, a couple of things. One, because I was a regional director, I was in the trenches with the members. And as you have described, I really was invested in wanting to know who my members were, not just the script that you have of describing what type of person or professional we're looking for, but I really wanted to get to know who are the members so that way I can better assist them in identifying prospects, candidates that would be complimentary to you in your room in that space when you all are meeting on a monthly basis. So that was very important for me. Uh, once I established that now in my current role, I'm now able to take that and truly exemplify those uh, core values that we encourage our members to, uh, or our member leaders to invoke. And that's having that members uh, first mindset. What we need to do is make sure that not only are we providing services for our members, just so that way they have the tools to be effective in the community, but we wanna make sure that these tools are truly tools that you're gonna use, which is why the training was so important. We wanted to make sure that every member had an equal experience. And in my role, one of my responsibilities is ensuring the consistency and continuity of all of our policies and processes. Regardless of what region you're in, we want the members to have an equal experience in the provisor community, regardless of the area that you are representing. So that was very important. We had to find out who we're serving and then uh, adapt tools, training methods, and processes to support those members. That's great. That's terrific. Nicola, why don't you dig into that a little bit more? Sure. So Lisa, you are somewhat uniquely situated as a leader within ProVisors because of how many touch points you have. And those touch points have to do with not only individuals, but across different types of groups. So I want to dig into that a little bit more. And you mentioned members, which is it's great because you you started where I would start. You worked as a regional director, so you had that experience working directly with so many members and getting to know them so well. And now as you've moved into your new role, you work with group leaders and you also work with what we call affinity group leaders. And if I have this right, you view all of those different three groups as your clients that are internal to the organization. 
So I'd like to, let me pause here and have you touch on what do I mean by group leaders and affinity group leaders, because some members of our audience are not familiar with this provisor's language that we use. And I think it's really important to the discussion here about your leadership role with each of these groups. So let's start there. If you could just describe for us what each of those are. Sure. So um, we briefly described what our typical members are. These are senior professionals with at least 10 years of experience within their specialty or profession. Um, but we have at our midst, because within this robust community, there are those that really take a step above in the sense that they have embraced the idea of not only being a strong member, but also helping to lead a group. So we have home groups and affinity groups. Our home groups are pretty agnostic where we have leaders that meet, have meetings on a monthly basis with members that represent a variety of industries that in some way either directly or indirectly support one another. Um, I think that uh, Dave mentioned earlier, we have bank, those that are in the uh, legal professions, those that are in banking, finance, CPAs, uh, marketing professionals. These are all uh, lanes or professions that support one another in their quest of improving their personal business as well as expanding their market, uh, the, the marketplace. So these group leaders are designed to assist in providing content and programming of which these members come together to learn and interact with one another as well as network. Now, an affinity group is a little different where the home group is more, as I said, agnostic, where you have a variety of lanes that are all coming together on a monthly basis. An affinity group, you would think of it more like a consortium. These are where our members are coming together that have a mutual interest in a particular vertical market or industry, and they share best practices, current trends, um, case studies that directly impact that particular vertical market. So it's a little more um, strategic, a little more lasered uh, focused as opposed to a home group that can appeal to uh, a variety of subject matters. That's excellent. Thank you for, for that explanation. So we've got now members that you interact with, the group leaders with the mixed different backgrounds and professions, and then the more focused consortium of the affinity group leaders. How many, because I, I'd like our audience to hear this exactly, the breadth of your leadership in this organization of, and we have now around 8,500 members in the ProVisors organization. How many individuals, whether they're members, group leaders, or affinity group leaders, would you say that you interact with on a weekly basis? And how many would you say you interact with on a monthly basis? Wow. Well, um, <laughs> because of such, uh, because we have such a vast community, um, and I am uh, primarily in, uh, responsible for the training and development of our onboarding of all of our new members, uh, as well as assisting in the training of our new group leaders, affinity group leaders, as well as executive committee members, which we didn't touch upon it, um, uh, at this point. But on an average, I am about 120 plus new members on a monthly basis, uh, about 45 to 50 leaders uh, on a monthly basis, as well as I'm happy to say we had our first executive committee workshop. And an executive committee is 
treat them like a board of directors for our group leaders that help with the logistics of those monthly meetings. Um, we just had our first workshop where we had over 100 uh, executive committee members join in to share best practices, learn more about their roles. So uh, I would say that on a monthly basis, I'm probably upwards of 200 to 300 members um, on an average on a monthly basis. Weekly, I have hundreds of calls, hundreds of emails. I will meet with members one-on-one -on -one if they are struggling in an area of trying to utilize their membership, their benefits that we have uh, quite a few. Um, if there is a area that a regional director needs some assistance with and clarifying some of our processes or policies, I'm meeting with the regional directors. Uh, so it is, it's quite a bit of touching that I do on a weekly or on a monthly basis. That, that is incredible, Lisa. It, it, it's so many different individuals that you're working with and you're helping develop in some way. You know, it's not just that you're interacting with these members, you are the face of the organization. You are the person who's helping them really get up to speed, learn what ProVisors is all about. So you're really mentoring them into the system as you're also mentoring group leaders and affinity group leaders to help them run all of these groups across the country. So when you shift from group to group, so you have hundreds of calls a week and you've got some members that you're talking to, you have leaders you're talking to, how would you say as a leader that you shift from one group to the other? And we'll use the group, the home group leaders to the affinity group leaders. How would you say you change your leadership approach when you deal with each of those groups, if at all? Sure. Um, when I'm dealing with members at large, um, usually their, um, their need uh, for support uh, is articulating most of our general policies and procedures, which is the reason why it was important that this role came about. And I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge um, this role was um, a, the brainchild of Sharon Strauss, our president of uh, Provisors. And a couple of years ago, it was, uh, you know, I'm thankful that she thought that I would be a good fit for the role. Um, we wanted to make sure that there was uh, continuity in the member experience, regardless if they were coming from South Florida or Seattle, Washington. So I assist the members at large, usually with general policies or processes, how to utilize our, um, our, uh, our electronic, our, you know, hub, our database, uh, how to manage that um, those services. Now, with group leaders and affinity group leaders, it's really being more consultative, um, offering leadership training, offering suggestions on how they can um, better improve the member experience for the members of their group. Uh, and then for the regions as a whole, again, with my training, it's one of those things where I am responsible for not only uh, providing services that they may need to continue to grow and develop, but I am in support. It's not just me. I would love to say that this is all the Lisa show, but I would not be successful if it wasn't for my regional directors, for my VP of membership sales, for, my, for the president. We all come together as a unit to make sure that the members have a great experience and we want to, we understand that each region is different and we have to be pliable to adjust to those regions so that we understand how their professionals operate 
interact and do business with one another. Sure, I can see the the adaptability, you know, coming through from group to group that leads us back to you know, your background in hospitality and how you are quickly adjusting there. And it seems like this is just it was such a natural transition for you. So we've now talked about three different groups. So let me let me turn it over to Dave to explore a little bit more on members. Yeah, thanks, Nicola. So, Lisa, one of the things that you the greatest gift you gave to me is when uh, I started in your region as a ProVisors member, you helped me by giving me some guidance to get me started quickly. Right. You get you told me like three things to do right off the bat. So the people who are listening and watching uh, today to the show, a lot of them are brand new ProVisors members or maybe they're members who want to revitalize their their opportunities improvisers. So share the advice you gave to me, you probably give to every new member. What's the, what are the first three things a new member improviser should do? Well, I have those conversations, they're individual. So I will tell you that depending upon the member that I'm speaking with and their background and what their goals, their business development goals, their marketing initiatives, how are we as an organization, as a community, how are we able to amplify those goals so it makes the conversation different with each member. But I will say that any new member that's coming into the provisor community, uh, the first thing is that you need to make sure that you are properly onboarded. You have the opportunity of joining in on our new member orientation where we assist you not only in finding out what is this whole nuance about networking, but completing your online profile, which is critical. Because as you've mentioned before, we have a community of over 8,000 members. And with that, those members are interacting in our hub, in that database on a regular basis. So you wanna make sure that you are visible. People wanna know who you are, what it is you do, and how they can utilize your services. So completing that profile and attending that new member orientation is by far the first critical component. Secondarily, you need to come into the provisor community with the understanding that you are surrounded by senior professionals, but they may be those that are of a particular profession that are your best referral source. You cannot eat this elephant all in one bite. Our community has over 400 meetings and activities per month. So that's a lot that you have to uh, adjust and adapt to. So identifying who your referral sources are. Those are people who are actually going to benefit from your goods or services or those who are going to be able to bridge that gap and introduce you to those high net worth clients that could benefit from your goods or services. And then creating a guesting strategy. Because again, there are right now we have over 22 regions across the country. I'm happy to announce that Phoenix and Idaho uh, excuse me, Phoenix and Boise are our newest additions, and we are planning on bringing on more by the end of the year. So because of that breadth that you have, you have a natural resource of senior professionals at your disposal. You need to create a guesting strategy so you can get to know them and they get to know you. So those would be my first three. And if I had to slip in a third one, that is also critical. In networking, your personal brand is your best commodity. You need to know how to articulate who you are in a manner that's going to resonate with your audience. And that is going to change with every meeting you attend. Knowing your personal brand, being able to express who it is you are, who you are and what it is you do, 
at a level that people will understand and be able to remember you after you left the room, that's a skill that we help cultivate. You know, one of the things that you mentioned to me when I first got started that has stuck with me and that I now share with everybody that Nicola and I onboard in our group and when we're helping other group leaders onboard new members, the very first thing you mentioned to me is, hey, listen, this is about you now having resources all over the country for you to share with your clients. And that's the first thing you should keep in mind. I find, and I'm curious about your experience in this, people initially, they, they hear about provisors, they hear about networking, and they think about, oh man, I'm gonna get a lot of clients from this. And I, I came to provisors thinking, hey, listen, if I get one new client over the course of a year, that's a win for me. Um, and then when I had the conversation with you, you opened my eyes to the fact that you're now part of a community. And if you're a sole practitioner or you have a small firm, regardless of what your profession is, you now have resources in you know, all these cities across the country. Now you have 8,500 people who are part of your team that can service your clients. And that's the value, that's the first point in the value proposition Nicola and I lead with. Talk about the, the, the impact that that message has on new people who are joining our community. And is it as much an eye-opening uh, experience for them as it was for me? Well, I would, I would hope so. Um, you have a lot of sole practitioners that are really trying to, you know, make their mark in their industry, especially if it is a pretty large industry that's extremely competitive. So what Provisors is able to do is offer that platform where you're able to come in and really get to meet people who are going to be interested, invested, and wanting to get to know you. I mean, our platform, what makes us different from any other networking organization in the marketplace today is the fact that not only do we invite people in the room, but we have a foundation where we encourage you to actually meet the people that you most want to get in front of. Uh, the worst thing about networking that people will always say is that you're going into a room, people are whipping their business cards at you, throwing you on some random mailing list that you didn't subscribe to. You go into, you may have a hundred people in the room. There's only two people that you really want to meet. If even if you do meet that person, you might exchange business cards and it could take weeks, months, or maybe never that you all get a chance to actually sit down and talk about what you do for a living and how you can help one another. Provisors offers, especially for the small, uh, um, the small companies, the ones that have to fight against the big, the big boxes have their own marketing team. They have their own methods of recruiting and getting out there. The mid-size and small groups, they're the ones that have to try to figure it out on their own and compete with the large groups. We offer an opportunity where you have a platform that in addition to their monthly meeting that you go to, it is encouraged, expected that the members of that meeting are going to actually sit down with two or three other members that were in that meeting to really do a deep dive and peel back that layer. So now we've taken the hard part of you having to try to get in front of someone and schedule that meeting. We actually are encouraging that you do that and they're interested in doing it. You don't have to chase people down. You don't have to feel like you're coming off being solicitous. The members of Provisors are givers. We come in with the mindset of how can we contribute to this conversation and help our fellow member. So those meetings, which we call troikas, 
kind of a unique uh, title. This is where the members really get a chance to do a deep dive into what it is they do. That sole proprietor gets a chance to really get in front of their referral source and tell them how they can help them and a, in a casual environment in which everyone gets a chance to really put their best foot forward uh, and get to know each other. That's great. Uh, I, I understand and appreciate that. So let's dig a little bit into uh, into leadership now. You know, so the group that uh, that Nicola and I lead I, for the from day one, I've always viewed Nicola as kind of my partner, my peer, like the co-leader of the group. But now she's all grown up. She's got her own group. So she's a group leader of her own group now. So Nicola, why don't you why don't you ask Lise a little bit about uh, leadership and leading the different types of groups in Provisor? I would love to. So thank you, Dave. So you mentioned, Dave, a few moments ago that you are a leader of Miami Three. So that is a group leader within the Provisors organization. There are so many responsibilities of a group leader, and I see this every day. And I've seen this in working with Dave now to build this group for over a year. You have and. I'll just name a few. You have responsibilities to recruit members, which Lisa, you were describing for us, bring them into the group, onboard them into the system to make sure they're getting a good start. You have member experience to make sure everyone is maximizing the value of this fast organization on a national platform. You have responsibilities to prepare for and to lead these monthly meetings that you were describing, Lisa, across the country. You, you lead the meeting for your own home group. Um, each month. You also have responsibilities for making sure that you're retaining those members that you've brought in. So with all of those responsibilities, we'd like to hear from you, Lisa, on what qualities you think maybe get wrapped into making someone an excellent group leader to, to fulfill this role and to execute on all these responsibilities. Well, that's a great question. And I wish there was a canned answer. Um, one of the things that I have quickly discovered is the fact that because we serve a variety of regions across country, members do business differently. The synergy, the, the environment, the culture of different regions have to take place when you are looking for a particular leader for a group in that region. However, the general characteristics that I look for that really kind of stand out with me is that our group leaders are givers first. They come in with that servant leadership mindset. Uh, you understand that it was earlier mentioned, you know, you're herding cats. You've got a variety of professionals from, you know, all different types of backgrounds and experiences that you have to bring together for a unified vision of how you're going to successfully uh, execute a meeting on a monthly basis. That's a lot. So for you as a leader, you have to come from a level, level of servitude. Secondarily, you, you are the rainmaker. You're the person who is going to be able to identify those diamonds outside of the provi provisor's community. Who's in your circle of influence that you think could be a benefit to sit around your table on a monthly basis and actually contribute to the success of your group? Uh, being that multitasker, we talked about all of the things that you mentioned from recruiting and engagement and programming. You have to be ready to um, handle a lot of plates and keep those plates spinning um, on a regular basis, which means identifying and being able to delegate 
finding an executive committee that's going to be your board of directors that are going to help you um, execute uh, those plans, those uh, those goals that you have set for your group. So that's kind of the general mindset of a group leader. Um, you mentioned a lot of the responsibilities. Uh, and again, it sounds daunting when you're doing your laundry list, but it becomes a natural cadence for the really successful group leaders recruiting. Again, you're leaning on your personal circle of influence. That is something that you do on a regular basis without having the title of recruiting, which can be pretty daunting for people. They get a little intimidated with that word. So I don't use the word recruiting often. Again, it's a matter of engagement, no different than you having a great dinner party and you are being selective of who you're going to invite, who you think is going to enjoy the evening. Same thing with a meeting. Who are the professionals that are going to benefit from meeting the others that you've already assembled in your group? Um, onboarding, making sure that your new member, whether it's a friend of yours or a referral from one of your members in your group, you want them to feel uh, that they were invited to be a part of the group, not just signing up like a gym membership. These are people that you've gone out of your way to identify as being a asset to a, uh, a, or a community that you've already created that has that synergy and they're gonna amplify. Um, your executive committee, we can talk about that all day long. And as a group leader, I'm sure you starting out as a group leader associate, Nikki, you understand the importance of what your role was to Dave. It is so critically important that even if you are a strong leader, that you have the delegation mindset to give other people the opportunity to help you execute a flawless meeting and provide that member experience. Uh, because it's going to be important and you cannot handle that yoke all by yourself. Um, preparing for a meeting, running a meeting, uh, the overall member experience, again, it comes from that member first mindset. But personal accountability, keeping that mutual trust with your fellow members, and above all, having that open line of communication where you are receptive to feedback, so that way at the end of the day, you are giving the experience that you hope you're giving to your members and they are affirming that you are successfully executing it. Those are the key tips. That's great. There's so much there that, that we could unpack, but we only have so much time with you. So I, I do want to make a note for our audience that you know what we're talking about now is really applicable even outside of the ProVisors organization where you are leading a group of professionals from all different backgrounds. I mean, there's so much here about leadership skills and the development of that group that you can take away from you know what Lisa just described with respect to these group leaders for our home groups within ProVisors. Now, I'd like to go back to these affinity groups that we were talking about, which you mentioned are more like consortiums. They have this very laser-focused topic that brings them together and an interest that they share. And I'll use an example so that it's helpful to the audience here. We have some, we have groups across the country, affinity groups that are known as the lawyers affinity groups. So within those groups, you have lawyers who attend the meetings, who are members of the affinity group, and you also can open your virtual doors to lawyers across the country to come join that group. So I'd like to have you speak to the, the difference between the group leaders and the affinity group leaders because their role's a little bit different. You know, For example, they don't recruit because you just have a group members who are already part of a home group 
who then can join an affinity group and be part of that discussion where they meet monthly. But it's a little bit different as a leader of an affinity group. So I'd like you to touch on, you know, what you think makes affinity group leaders good in their roles compared to a home group leader. Well, thank you for asking that, because I think that that's also one of our best gems uh, in working um, within the provisor community. As a networking organization, we know that there are those that are working in a particular uh, specialty or profession where they have the vernacular that is relative to the industry they work for or the acronyms that or the certifications that support them being a um, subject matter expert or a master in their field. Well, we understood the importance of those uh, professionals coming together to support one another, to share best practices and what's going on in their marketplace where they're able to walk away, being able to better support and serve their clients because they were able to get feedback from those that know what's going on, are feeling the same pains or are working in that industry. What makes an affinity group so important within provisors and specifically the affinity group leader is the home group leader provides uh, networking experience and they do do the recruiting and they do have programming but the programming with an affinity group is really at that high level um, where you're really able to talk about a particular subject matter and not have to put on the buffers not have to try to water down what you're trying to describe because everyone in the room, either directly or indirectly, works in that industry, so they get it. That is a high-level discussion. Those are where you're able to really walk away with some key insights that you can take back into your marketplace and better serve your client. So those affinity groups, and a lot of times when I was a regional director, that would be one of the key things that would cause a prospect to decide to join provisors because that was something that kind of differentiated us from any other networking organization. They were able to find their people, so to speak. They were able to find those that understood what was going on that they can co uh, collaborate with. And surprisingly enough, Nikki, you would find that even if these members are working in the same industry, you would think that they would be considered competitors these were folks that really worked well together. The best referrals, collaboration occurred in these affinity groups where some members would actually get together and partner on a bid for a client. These are people who would actually assist one another, uh, especially if parameters may be a little different or uh, maybe the vertical market might be slightly, the clients that they serve may be slightly different. They would exchange leads with one another in a lot of cases faster than in a regular home group because they already knew what the client's needs were and they were surrounded by those that understood what the, the referral was requiring. Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I, you know, I'm using the, the attorney offending groups as an example. Again, there's so much business that is exchanged between lawyers. Why? Because most of us specialize. You have, even though you're within the same legal field, you have specialty areas. And lawyers send a lot of work out to each other because they want to continue to focus on that area. So allowing them and providing them with a forum to get together to have those very technical discussions really gives them an opportunity to help better themselves professionally in advance, as well as make those relationships so that they're able to exchange more business with each other. 
So that, that's really great. So Lisa, we've now spoken both about group leaders and about affinity group leaders. So to bring this all together, what, what are some ways that both types of leaders can get off to a great start in the ProVisors organization? The first thing that I will tell any group leader, whether it's a home group leader or affinity group leader, is surround yourself with those that have mastered the art in their role. Uh, leaning on a Dave Lorenzo, for example, as a when you're brand new as a group leader, you've been given uh, the keys to your own uh, castle, so to speak. You are the CEO and you now have to build your own group, but it takes uh, time, it takes uh, experience in knowing provisors community of which your regional director, uh, your vice president, myself, we can help you get acclimated with the tools uh, from an administrative perspective, um, from a logistics perspective. However, it's the nuance of how are you creating that synergy? That is, that's that special sauce. And those members that are already group leaders, they've done it. They can tell you what they look for when they begin. We can show you how, but that person is going to show you what to do. Um, I would say that that would be the first course of action is surrounding yourself with your own peers that are doing things well. Go to other meetings. If you're hearing that there are meetings that are taking place and they're really popular, go and see what is all the hubbubaloo about. Go and see how that group leader is operating and then schedule a one-on-one -on -one with them and get some nuances on what did they do for their first meeting? How did they assemble their executive committee? Don't recreate the wheel. Go to those that are doing that successfully. Secondarily, again, look in your own circle of influence. Who are the people that you already are working with, that you already trust, that already trust you? Quite frankly, I know for a fact that there are some group leaders like Dave that when they looked and talked to their own circle and told them what they were doing as a leader, those people would follow them to the ends of the earth. Why? Because that trust had already been formulated. So you want to make sure that you're bringing on the folks that already get to know, like, and trust you. And that is how you will begin to create that culture within your home group. Um, those are the few things that I would start off. Group leader training is always important. And there is one group within the provisors community. We have uh, one group, um, it's not quite an affinity group, but it is a group of group leaders called uh, GLAM. This is the group leader uh, uh, accelerating uh, accelerator meeting. This is where meet members who are group leaders are coming together with other group leaders. Again, that's where you wanna develop your peer group to get those uh, nuggets. So that way you're not hitting against a wall where there's already a door open. Oh, it's such great advice, Lisa. Lisa, you know, both of us spend so much time meeting with and speaking to other leaders across the organization before stepping into that role. And I can't tell you how much information that we obtained and great advice to be able to move that forward. And you mentioned GLAM, you know, that's, that is a, a training for group leaders where they can also kind of get together and share that higher level discussion about their roles across the country. And this is, an org is a group that Dave leads with Saja Roof. Dave, at this point, let me, let me turn it over to you. I mean, you're the group leader for Miami 3. You have lived and breathed every one of the responsibilities that we have mentioned in our discussion here today. So let's turn it over to you to talk a little bit more about group leaders in the organization. 
Oh, thank you. Uh, thank you both. So I think one of the things I'd like to do, Lisa, is uh, almost like a speed round. I'd like to take kind of each of the responsibilities of a group leader and have you talk about them, uh, what the best do, uh, like two or three things really quick, what the best do for each of these responsibilities. And this is particularly valuable for me because I have one approach to each of these things. But that one approach works for me based on my skills, knowledge, experience, and talent. There are other group leaders around the country who have different skills, knowledge, experience, and talent that they bring to, the, uh, to their groups. And they're just as effective, if not more effective than me, but they do it a different way. So that, and you guys mentioned GLAM, and I appreciate you mentioning GLAM. The, the, the reason that I wanted to talk to other group leaders, and Saja and I did this at the Group Leader Summit, which is our annual meeting, is because I wanted to appreciate the way other people approached each of these things that we're going to talk about right now. Because I, you know, I, my perspective is great for me, but I, there may be something out there that I'm not doing that I can learn from somebody else that would make it more efficient and more effective. Because let's face it, we only have so many hours in the day. We've got our, our regular businesses, our day jobs that we have to do. If I could be more efficient and deliver more value to my members in a way that is easier, I'm all about stealing somebody else's great idea. So let's take each of these aspects of Provisor's group leadership and do like a real quick hit and run with each of them with a couple of things that you've seen that are great. Let's start with recruiting. What do the best do from a recruiting perspective, Lisa? It really is on all of the members because you have a vast method of uh, circle of folks who work and well with one another and trust one another. Um, and then creating a vetting process, establishing and supporting one another in that vetting process is going to be critical because you don't, it's harder to get rid of a bad egg than it is to go and find a good one in the first place. So you want to be mindful of that. All right, what about onboarding, getting people started? What do, what do some of the best group leaders do to get their new members started? Most uh, proper onboarding, they work very well with their regional director because the regional director is going to do all the heavy lifting from a um, uh, details of the membership itself, where the group leader is there to identify the synergy and whether or not that person would be a good fit the regional director is able to articulate whether or not that would be that person would be a good member for the provisor community as a whole. And how about setting up an exec committee? I mean, for for me yep. in Miami three, and Nicola can speak to this as well. The the success we've had is uh, is a direct result of picking the right people to partner with to help us grow the group and now engage the members and retain the members, right? I mean, we have 55 members. I talk to half of them each month, but I talk to half of them because they, you know, it's out of necessity. Each of them talk to five people in depth every month, and most of them talk to more, and that makes these members feel like they're the most important people in the group. Those folks, exec committee members, are for us critical. If I didn't have great people in that role, this whole thing would fall apart. So what do the best group leaders do when they're selecting exec committee members and engaging them to help lead the group? The first thing that I tell our, our group leaders is that your executive committee is going to look different from another group's executive committee. You're going to surround yourself with those that are going to help you achieve your group goal. 
make it your own. So when people ask for a list of who are the members of an executive committee, we have primary roles, obviously the group leader associate. We have the Troika manager, that person who assembles those intimate groups of members. We have a testimonial tracker, a social chair, and those that fit in the role of either welcome or mentor. But again, it's not a regimented list that everyone has to follow. There may be those that have a social media chair or technology chair. You make it your own. It has to be representative of the members in your group. Secondarily, you want to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with those members that are motivated to assist you in achieving your goal. And that may not be your friends. Don't make that mistake that thinking that just because you're willing to go and break bread or grab a beer, that that person is going to be a good fit for your executive committee. You are assembling your board of directors. Those are the people who are going to take your group, take your goals and actually execute them. Yeah, I I'll tell you from my experience and Nicola, you jump in here. If you if you pick a friend and your friend is letting you down and you got to have a tough conversation with them or throw them off the executive committee and make them a regular member again, you've just made your life a lot more complicated than you need to. <laughs> Absolutely. It's true. That's true. But you you really have got to have a great team to be able to do this, you know, and and you've mentioned this today, Lisa you need to be able to delegate some of these tasks. There is a lot to get accomplished in each of these home groups and to make sure that you're a success and to do so for all of your members that they're sharing in that value. So you've got to have the right team so that you're getting all of that done. That's correct. So Lise, let's talk real quick about preparing for a meeting and running a meeting. What do the best group leaders do in those areas? Uh, we'll start about preparing for a meeting. So you've got to be strategic. Again, it's going to be a little different from a home group uh, leader versus an affinity group leader, but you have to understand that the programming and content that you are providing, the discussion topics, have to be relevant to as many people as possible that's going to be in the room. And that can be a challenge for a home group leader that has a variety of lanes that they have to serve. Affinity group, it's a little more strategic, so you don't have to worry about um, appealing to those that don't quite understand your vernacular. Um, however, you need to make sure that you understand your audience and you are serving them because people are getting up at 7 a.m., 7.30, and you want them to be there every month because their role, the, the lane that they represent, is supporting the tapestry that you've created so that way people can do business with one another. So you want to make sure that they get a return not only on their investment, but return on value. So that comes from that programming. And then you need to make sure that you're dedicating sufficient amount of prep time. No different than you would preparing for a client meeting. You're not going to just come running at the last 15 minutes and slapping on your, your suit or, and, and, and showing up. You need to be prepared. And that means making sure that if there is a program that requires uh, more interactivity of the people who are going to be in attendance, that you give them sufficient instructions in advance, making sure that they have that photo list that has the list of all the members that are uh, confirmed to attend, giving them the information about who their Troika manager would be so that way if they wanted to construct their own Troika, that they have the information in advance so that way they can reach out and give them the information. You want to prepare them for the meeting because everyone that attends your meeting on a monthly basis, whether it's your home group members or guests, these are all potential clients of yours or referral sources to introduce you to potential clients. Your personal brand 
I will always say should be protected. And that goes for our group leaders and how they prepare for their meetings. Man, that's such an important point that everybody you're connecting with is a potential referral source or a potential client. I mean, we can't say that enough for sure. All right, so the last couple of things that I, that I want you to touch on for group leaders is, and I think these two things go hand in hand, managing the member experience and retention strategies, right? What do some of the best group leaders that you work with do from a managing the member experience perspective and retention perspective? Well, the first thing I will say is you need to be transparent. Um, creating an environment in your home group that's a safe environment where your members feel comfortable in providing you or your executive committee with feedback. Because you don't want to be that emperor that's walking down the street in brand new clothes and you have that one person pointing out saying, hey, you're naked. You want to make sure that you are providing the services, the experience that you anticipate and it's delivered and it lands well. So making sure that you're encouraging regular feedback is critical. Um, you also wanna make sure that you're promoting your executive committee engagement. Don't just have them having titles and sitting on the sideline. Every single one of them are now your leaders of your group. So they have a role to play in their individual uh, respective chair positions, but they also are responsible for helping with the engagement of your members overall. Um, and that has a lot to do with the retention of your group because you work so hard to assemble a great group of folks that are doing business with one another and that synergy is there it's hard to have bringing in new people to try to replicate that so you want to make sure that you're establishing some sort of assessment plan who is reaching out to those members that may have fallen off or you haven't seen in a couple of months who are what are your benchmarks what are you trying to achieve as a group and having closed meetings where you are discussing this with your members at large so that way they can help contribute to suggestions on how you can achieve those goals. Um, and then having some sort of recovery strategy. If someone has fallen off, finding out from them, it may be something that may have to do with their professional life or personal life. You wanna show your fellow members that they're not just a member, that they're part of your home group family. So you want to keep that energy there and let them know that you, again, invited them to be at the table. So treat them with that level of reverence as you would a guest that you had invited to your home. Great. That's fantastic advice. So, uh, Nicola, why don't you why don't you talk with Lisa a little bit about, um, you know, the different backgrounds of people who are improvisers and really get into what we do to engage people to make sure that uh, our groups are representative as, as much as possible of people in the community. Sure, so we've talked about you know, the, the fact that you have professionals from all different backgrounds, I mean, all of whom are seasoned professionals. So it creates for a very interesting dynamic in the organization, you know, people with different, not only backgrounds, but experiences, opinions, and we all you know, come together in this organization together. Based on your experience, you know, you, you've had so much leadership experience, Lisa, in the hospitality industry and in provisors. I'd like to hear what you think leaders as a whole, you know, across what you've seen in this organization can maybe do better in today's world. Ooh, that's a big question. Um, I, I think the first thing that pops into my mind again is seek to first understand who your members are. 
uh, and or in outside of provisors, if you are a leader in your industry, who are the people that you're trying to lead? You're not a leader if there's no one following. So let's let's just point that out. So you've got to make sure that you are meeting people where they are. You are going to come in and show them that, hey, look, what I'm asking you to do is nothing that I would not roll up my sleeves and do myself. In actuality, let me show you how I would do it if I were in that role. That way you've, again, you've developed a level of understanding amongst the people that you are supposedly leading. Um, embracing the fact that you have a variety of people that you are working with means that you cannot an, interact with them the same way. There are some times where my response and my activity with one member is going to be completely different than the other. Why? Because some may be much more conservative, while others, you know, they embrace you with a hug and a kiss. So you have to make sure that you are addressing them at their level. Again, meeting them where they are. Um, incorporating any kind of recruitment strategies uh, really requires you to peel back your own level of expertise. Granted, yes, I have years of experience, but I don't walk into the room with all of my medals of accomplishments. I'm just Lisa. And Lisa just wants to get to know Nikki. Um, Dave mentioned that earlier, and that's exactly my approach. I truly want to get to know who you are. What goals do you have set for yourself? What are some of the challenges that you're being faced with? Why would you even consider joining an organization like Provisors? What, is, what, what are you trying to achieve? Once we get those questions out in the open and start that dialogue, then I'm able to adapt and provide them with the benefits, the services that we offer to complement what it is that they have shared that they're interested in achieving. That way it's sincere, it comes off genuine, you're transparent, it's deliberate. So that is the way that I would approach addressing any person that we're trying to lead. Now with provisors, again, with it being high caliber people, everyone comes from a different background, but again, they're all very well established in their respective uh, industries or profession. So I give respect to that and the fact that they have achieved this. I want to learn more about their industry. I don't know much about what it is to be an estate planning attorney. So I'm not going to walk into a room and act as though I do. I'm going to come in again, first seeking to understand what is it that you do, what makes you tick, and how can provisors amplify your goals. Yeah, this is great. So it, it's not, there's no one approach. There's no one size fits all approach to leadership, especially when you have so many different backgrounds and dynamic individuals on the other side of that. So I love that you're really thinking about that person, just that person on the other side, and how can you interact with them and help them advance in the organization. It's really, it's an excellent quality of in leadership. Yeah. Um, and you know, you, you, you have other leadership experiences that I, I'd like to quickly touch on too that are unique to your provisor's role. You have been with this organization, Lisa, through a significant period of growth. And you've mentioned it here today that it doesn't end here, that there are now 22 different regions. There's already two more in the works. That's not going to be the end of this. So tell us a little bit about what that was like for you, the experience of going through that period of growth with the organization as a leader in provisors. 
Wow. Well, you know, I would think that any person who is starting a new organization is excited when they hear that the company is growing and developing. Um, Because again, you don't want to be in a company that's stagnant or declining. So I was at a stage in my career where I have, again, represented some of the best cities in this country. I've represented some of the, uh, one of the best uh, private clubs in North America. So I think that, you know, I pretty much hit some of the environments that, you know, would be on anyone's bucket list. Provisors was different in the sense that I remember when the CEO um, flew out to Chicago to meet with me. I was hesitant about making a change and he presented to me an, uh, a scenario in which he acknowledged you've made so many achievements in your career. What would be the harm if you came and had this entrepreneurial experience in an environment where you could really take it by the reins and really develop you know what would be the harm if it didn't work out it didn't work out you're you're well skilled it's not like you're not going to get another job right but we need someone like you that's going to come in with that mindset that entrepreneurial uh, experience that's going to see this opportunity not for what it is today but what it can develop in the future. And that opened my eyes to an ability to really see how I can be a valuable asset to an organization that is looking to expand and grow and sees a need across country. So it was exciting for me and I, I can't wait to see how we continue to develop and wanting to be present in every first tier city across the country that's amazing. Yeah, it really is ex- exciting to be a leader in, in that experience and, and to go through it with the organization and to be part of it. And, and you've done that. So looking back a little bit, who was someone that was a, a good mentor to you that helped you become the leader that you are today? Wow. Um, okay, that's going back. <laughs> I would say um, I had the pleasure of working for a woman by the name of Patricia Carter. She was the dean of students at Governor State University when I was uh, final finishing up uh, my degree. And she taught me not only the art of diplomacy when you're working with a lot of personalities that have a variety of background, but she she's the one that actually ingrained in me to meet people where they are. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO or you are the person that is the public service person that cleans out the the stalls in the bathroom. Each person is in their own right, the king or queen of their world. And you meet them where they are and find out what it is about them that makes them who they are and find out how you can support them at that level. Then they no longer have the titles. They're just the name. And you are just that person who is there to make it better for them if you're able to. Um, That gave me the idea of being more servant leader driven, Um, identifying and encouraging understated skills in people. I believe that that was one of the best lessons that I learned as a leader. I've identified a lot of people that worked in my sales teams and I've developed quite a few successful sales teams in my career. 
some of those people who were the best, most dynamic salespeople did not start out as salespeople. They were working as a receptionist in an office or, or in some other capacity. And by me sitting down and having a conversation with them, learning a little bit about their background and what they're passionate about, I found that there were some key sales skills that were needing to be developed to, be, to get the bramble brushed off so that way that shoot can come out from the ground. And they have been extremely successful today. Um, and being transparent, I do not walk around with chips on my shoulder. Quite frankly, in most cases, even though I have a title as vice president, when I introduce myself, I say that I help with training and development. Uh, and the reason why I do that is because we have a tendency to um, view titles and put people in a certain position because of their titles. I want you to see me as Lisa, someone who can be a benefit in knowing, someone that you would be willing to add into your personal circle of influence, not by my title, but my ability to assist you in your development, in the environment that you're creating to be successful for yourself. And Pat Carter did that for me. Dave, at this point, I'd like to turn it over to you because I know you'd like to speak with Lisa about a topic that is very important to us in our home group together, Miami 3. You know, as, as we say when you, to those who attend our meetings every month, we begin and end every meeting with diversity because it is really essential to what we're doing in this organization. So Dave, with that, let me turn it over to you. Yeah, you know, diversity is, it's probably one of the most important things to me in my personal life. Um, my family is is diverse. We we speak Spanish at home. Um, we have members of the LGBTQ community who are very very close to us in our family. We have a, a member of the trans community who's uh, who's a very close member of our family, and. You know, you and I, Nicola, it was a natural for us to develop a group that has 80% of the folks in our group who speak Spanish because you and I have diverse families. I mean, you have you have diversity in, in your family. I have diversity in my family. And from from a Latino perspective, we are very uh, we are very representative of our community. Lisa, what I want to get into with you is we, how can we be better right so as you know as folks who we have to make a conscious effort to recruit people who are different than us but we always want to make sure that we're representative of our communities so you know nicola and i for our groups how can we be better uh, all the people who are listening all the people who are watching what can we do to have different conversations that lead us to connect with people who are different from us and then, you know, make those folks comfortable to come check out our community and join our community because we don't know what we don't know, right? We only know what's in our background unless we stretch ourselves and go out. And what I found, Lisa, is that, I, I mean, you can tell I'm passionate about this. What I found is that it's not that people don't want diversity in their groups. It's that they're, they're struggling with finding an appropriate way to bring up this conversation like you know it's like they're thinking to themselves that the the that the the latin people don't know their latin or the black people don't know their black and you're going to say to them hey you know uh how can i meet people who are more like you and people are going to be offended so how do we start this conversation that's the thing that people are struggling with 
I find when we have conversations about making our groups and our workplaces more diverse? Well, thank you for approaching that question in the manner that you did. And I, I, the first thing that I always say is, you know, you do better to serve your clients when you operate from a wider lens. So regardless of whether or not you come from um, an environment that is not very diverse, uh, or you represent a firm that's not very diverse, or you're in a community that's not very diverse, the idea is if you treat it from a business perspective, the moment you decided that you wanted to branch into another area within your community to serve your clients, uh, to provide a service. You want to branch out from a zip code to another zip code. You want to go from one, you know, in the, in the state that you serve to being nationwide. You had to do research. You had to find out what it is that was out there, do the necessary market research so that way you can, exp you can serve, provide the services or provide the product that's going to branch you out farther. It's no different than uh, within diversity, outside of the fact you're dealing with human beings and culture versus uh, widgets in, you know, in, in territory. I'm a firm believer that if you are adopting, if you're serious about wanting to have a diverse group, you need to adopt diversity recruiting goals. That means branching out of your own comfort zone and meeting with those that are in the community. What I love about Provisors is the fact that um, we have established DEI committees across the country. For those who don't know, DEI stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. And in 2020, Provisors took a concerted effort in standing with those members that re uh, represented a diverse group or serve a diverse group or trying to expand their market share in serving a diverse group. And they meet on a monthly basis to review content programming that directly relates to DEI. So the first step that I would tell any group leader that wants to become more diverse in their, their home group or uh, in their affinity group, why not attend a DEI committee? Find out what's going on and expand your, your horizons. Become more visible in those communities and be honest and say, I don't know what I don't know. You will, by and large, meet people who are willing and able to share information to get the ball rolling. But you can't say, because I don't know, I don't. they're not in my circle of influence, I don't know what to do. The first step is in our community of provisors, we are more and more diverse and not just by race and ethnicity, but by gender. And we've come a long way in this organization, which used to not be as diverse with gender as it is now. Now we have, we have a core women's affinity group that's in every established region. We have a national black professionals provisors group that serves all of uh, our African-American members across the country. So if you are currently a group leader and you are not diverse and you're saying you don't know how to get started, you're in a community that already is supporting, encouraging and developing diverse groups. Reach out to those who are doing it well, ask them how they got started and jump in.
Trust me when I say those members who are waiting to be a part of your group can't wait to share their knowledge on how they did it. Yeah, I think that's great advice where we're consciously making an effort. So I'll give you a couple of examples. So for us, 80% of our members uh, have some sort of either a Latin background or they speak Spanish. Uh, they they can engage that community. And it's important because that's that's a mirror of what's in the Miami-Dade area of South Florida. Where we need to do a better job is engaging Caribbean-American and African-American members of our community. So Nicola and I have connected with uh, the people who are the head of the Wilkie Bar Association, which is the African-American Bar Association here in South Florida. Uh, I'm also attending meetings for the Caribbean-American Bar Association in the hopes of establishing relationships and then eventually connecting with folks and recruiting them into not just our group, but the other groups in particularly in Miami, because every like Chicago has, you know, 30 different communities. Miami-Dade is one community. Broward County is a completely separate community. So it's just so important that you're you make a conscious effort to reach out to and engage with members of every community. And Lisa, I'd like you to speak to this. So when I became a group leader in Provisors, I got great advice from Amy Mariani, who's who's also a very good friend of mine, a good friend of Nicola's. And she said to me, look, Dave, if, if you don't recruit female attorneys right off the bat, she said, get three, four, five female attorneys in your group right off the bat, female attorneys are not gonna feel comfortable joining the group because Nobody wants to join a group where they're not represented at all. Or they, they're the only constituent of that organization. So how do we, you know, how do we reach across uh, gender lines? And this is particularly important, I think, with the LGBTQ community, because it's, you know, you have to you have to make a conscious effort to connect with folks and bring them in. What's your what, what's what are some best practices you've seen for people who reach out to diverse communities and you know and bring them in is it as simple as putting yourself in that environment and getting to know folks i think that that for some who have never done it before i think that um again that may be the best course of action initially i go i always go back for seek to understand you need to find out about the community one thing i will tell you i don't care if it's uh regarding gender ethnicity sexual orientation People are not going to be receptive if you jump in and you're in their face. Hey, I want, I, I, you know, I, I embrace your environment and I want to I want to work with you. Honestly, you're now kind of marginalizing the person you're speaking with. We're just people. It doesn't matter what our gender, what our race, what our uh, sexual orientation is. We're people first. Get to know that person first. It is going to be a natural conversation about how you can work well with that person. And then when you're introducing them to others in your circle of influence, it's not, hey, here is my female attorney, Nikki. No, here's Nikki. It's not my black friend, Lisa. I'm Lisa. The more that you normalize who we all are in God's country, the better you're going to adapt. It comes off being disingenuous if you are going from a perspective that I'm going to make a commitment that I'm going to meet a new fill-in-the-blank person today. 
you need to come in with a true understanding of who they are, the culture, their synergy, and that is by meeting them where they are, getting to know that person first, not what it is that they look like on the outside, not what it is that, um, you know, how what their lifestyle is. It really is about getting to know that person. If you really want to be diverse in your community, come in genuine. Come in with the idea that you want to represent your group. You want your group to represent the marketplace that you serve. Now, there are some people where they're only going to be in a particular area. They're only going to serve that particular group. That's fine. That's for them. Before the rest of the world, if you want to really be diverse in your group, you need to look at your group members and identify, does this group represent the marketplace we serve? You mentioned that about Miami. I can say the same thing about Chicago. Any group in Chicago that is not diverse naturally, we are kind of working against the grain here because the marketplace we serve is extremely diverse. So think about it from that business perspective. The more diverse you are, the better you're going to serve your clients, again, from that wider lens. Yeah, I, I want to, you know, I want to finish up our, our, our very brief and uh, we're not doing justice to this conversation with this brief topic or with this brief uh, segment of, of this talk. We need to do a whole show on this, but I want to <laughs> I want to finish up this segment by kind of highlighting something that I learned through Provisors and I want your thoughts on it. So uh, at the last group leader summit, Keith Allen, Sajar Aouf and, and I were sitting talking and the two of them were having a conversation about something that opened my eyes at age 54 to something that I hadn't thought about before. And the conversation went something like this, and I, I need your opinion on this, Lisa. So they were talking about when somebody asks you where you're from, right? So somebody asks Saja, hey, where are you from, right? Or somebody asks Keith, hey, where are you from? And they were talking about how just the, the tone of their voice and the way they ask the question can give off an impression that would be offensive to someone. And I never thought about that. And so I stopped, these are two of my good friends. So I stopped them and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I ask that question to people all the time. You mean to tell me I've been pissing people off like my whole life? And they said, no. They said, you can tell the person's intent by the way they ask the question. So what I wanna get out with you now, Lisa, and this is so important for people who want to reach out and start conversations about making their group or making their company or making their law firm more diverse, explain to people that if your intentions are pure, right, if you have the best intentions, and you ask about things in people's backgrounds with those intentions, that comes through and you're not gonna make a mistake if you have the best of intentions. I want your perspective on this because I, I, I just think that that's so important. And if you go into these conversations with good intentions, you can't do the wrong thing. You can't say the wrong thing as long as your intentions are pure because it comes through. I mean, is that accurate? What do you think? Well best laid plans, the good intentions can definitely take you down a different road. So I would not say that just because your intentions are pure, that it would not come off being uh, off-putting or offensive to someone. I'm a firm believer in being sensitive and reading your audience. If you ask a question, 
regardless of whether or not it's, oh, where are you from? Um, you can follow up by saying, I, I notice a, a dialect. Um, I can say the same thing about someone who's from the South that has a different dialect in their tone and how they articulate their speech versus someone who is from the New England area. Again, you have to be mindful. Don't go into any conversation with anyone, regardless, again, of their gender, their race, uh, their ethnicity, their religion, their sexual orientation. Don't approach any human being on this planet like a bull in a china shop. You need to come from a level of sensitivity that you're seeking to understand and learn and get to know this person, right? So I'm a firm believer when I'm asking a question or I'm having a conversation, being an extrovert, I'm always mindful of what it is I'm saying and how it's landing with the people who I'm speaking with. They're going to give you a nonverbal cue almost instantly if it is confusing or kind of off-putting. And at that point, if you just keep going, then that means that you're not really caring about how it's being received by the other person. Just be intentional. Make sure that you're sensitive to your audience. And if you are seeing that they're giving you some nonverbal cues that may have made them uncomfortable, then if that was, your, if you were trying to be genuine, then Dave, you follow whatever you set up with. My apologies. I, I don't want to offend. I just noticed that you had an accent and I'm just curious, or I love to travel and, or whatever the case is, you want to soften the blow. We're going to say things. We're human. We're going to say things that sometimes may not be our intent to offend. But if we are going, if we do say something that does offend someone, and if you're intentional in noticing how it's re being relayed to that person, how they're receiving it, you follow up by making sure that they understand what your intent was. Don't leave it up to chance. Don't presume, oh, I, I didn't mean that for someone to then come around and say, you know, that was kind of offensive. You can tell by their, I'm telling you, facial expressions say a lot more than the words. And if you're intentional about what you're saying and you notice those cues, you yourself can, cor can correct a wrong without that person pointing it out to you. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Thank you. You know, it's so funny. Um, there's so, there's so many that, that question alone, there's so many cultural nuances to it. So last night, it's late. I'm coming back from the airport, and I I landed in a terminal that was different from where my car was parked. And there's there's a family that's clearly confused, and they're walking around. And the gentleman comes up to me, and he asks me in Spanish where the rental car place is. So I answer him in Spanish, and he and he smiles, and he immediately says in Spanish to me, "De dónde eres? Like where like where are you from?" And uh, and so I answered him and I said, you know, I'm from New York. I'm from the United States. And he says to me, oh, well, you have a Dominican accent. And he's like, I'm from Argentina. Like, it's just there, there are so many different cultural like and I I mean, I was ne I would never be offended like by that. Like somebody I'm flattered that somebody actually thinks that I, I, you know, that my accent is so good. They think I'm a native. That's amazing. But like for me, like I want to make sure that I'm crystal clear in that you know, you have permission to talk to people about our cultural differences. I just, I, I want to make sure that people open the door to have these conversations because 
my life is better. My life is richer because I know people from all over and I'm friendly with people from all over. And I want my group, improvisers, to have that same experience. So the point in having this conversation, us having this conversation, is that I want to give people permission to have those conversations and I want them to feel like they can ask these questions and your insight will help them do it in a way that, you know, will will get it all, get their get their conversation off to a good start and make sure their relationships are off to a good start. So that was that those were the reasons why I wanted to uh, I wanted to explore this with you. All right. Well, listen, it's our turn to thank you, Lisa Meredith. This has been a fantastic wide ranging discussion. It has been our honor to have you. Those of you who want to reach out to Lisa Meredith, we're going to put her contact information down in the show notes. If you're listening to this, you're watching this and you're a Provisors member and you don't know who Lisa Meredith is, shame on you. You need to know her. She's the person who taught you how to do this right, right from the beginning. If you're from outside of Provisors and you're running an organization and you want to learn how to do training and development the right way, I encourage you to reach out to Lisa Meredith because she's got every breed of dog, cat, pig, and sheep in the professional services world that she's training and she's doing a fantastic job. So reach out to her as soon as you can to pick her brain. She's one of the most generous people with her time and with her knowledge. So I highly encourage you to do that. Nikki G, any final thoughts before we wrap up? Oh, this has been so great, Lisa. We could spend all day with you. Thank you so much for sharing everything you did today. You've heard it here. Excellent leadership advice, just excellent way to think about diversity, being a human being and thinking about others first. It's really been great. Thank you so much. It is absolutely my pleasure. Highlight of my month. Thank you, guys. Alrighty, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. I'm the godfather of growth, Dave Lorenzo, and she is... Nikki G. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you right back here again tomorrow for another show. Until then, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.